0: Christ himself calls us here this morning for rest. I, I don't know what particular treadmill you're on right now or what has you exhausted, weary, despondent, but we find in Christ the rest that our souls so long for and can only find in him. To that end, we've been looking together at the book of Ruth. It, it's a story, a true story of this family of Elimelech and Naomi. And the way in which they turned from the God of the Bible to find food, shelter, rest, a part from Yahweh, the God of the covenant, and how God, in his infinite grace, didn't merely let them go. He used difficult things. Elimelech died. Both of his sons died away from the promised land, away from where God had caused his name to dwell among his people. And so we've been following through this story that the scripture gives us of the heartache, of the the terror and bitterness that is all a result of sin, of disobedience against God. And how God has been faithful and God has been at work in his glorious providence to care for his people, even his disobedient people. Because in point of fact, that's the only kind of people that he has. And so open with me to the book of Ruth in your own scripture or if you don't have your sword with you, look at the Pew Bible in front of you starting at page 224. I'm going to read for us. This portion from chapter 4, sorry, my heart just dropped because I had last week's notes. (laughs) Okay, now I have this week's notes. (laughs) So, where were we? I'm sorry, Ruth, chapter 4, page 224, hear now God's holy word from... Chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, who was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of the Lord, and we thank God for it. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word, that you have given us stories like this one of Ruth and songs like in the Psalms and elsewhere in the Prophets that you have given us older brothers and sisters in the faith who have gone before us and who have trusted in you, Lord, to be faithful to your promises, to bring Messiah to them and to deliver us out of the sin and death in which we have entangled ourselves, become enslaved to, and have no way of deliverance save you alone. We pray, Lord, that you would help us. Holy Spirit, work in us now, we pray. Show us the ways in which this text that you have given us, this holy word of God, might break us of our rebellion, might comfort us and draw us out of bitterness and transform us joy in loving obedience to you Lord Christ we pray that you would do this and we ask it in Christ's holy name Amen Ruth is this story of Naomi and her being transformed from bitterness into joy And we we come now to this culmination of all of these things that we've been looking at since January. Of how God has been at work, sovereignly with Naomi and her whole family, through all of the difficult and curses for their disobedience, and then bringing them back to himself to the promised land, to the place where God's people are to dwell with God himself. And so I want us to to see in this culminating passage these three things. First, that Boaz and Ruth are married and have a son. That all of these things that that we've seen since chapter 2, pointing us towards this kinsman, redeemer, and this provision of God that he had made hundreds of years before and and put into sacred scripture that that we find in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, that God had provided this particular way for the care and restoration of his people being lived out. And and so the first thing that I want you to see in, in Ruth and Boaz being married and having a son is the, re- the, the way in which this causes us or calls us to rejoice, to celebrate, to delight in God's goodness and what he has done. God had promised his people redemption, care in his presence, and he has come through and done exactly what he said. Of course, in any good love story, as Ruth is, we we get to this point and and rejoice that that the couple is married. And and so that ought to to cause us to to rejoice as well. But we also see how it affects the happy couple, but also the whole of their family and really the whole of their community. This is a this is a major thing in the life of Bethlehem. But the first thing that I want you to notice is the sparse detail that's given to us about the actual ceremony. Right? You've been, you've been having this built up for four chapters. And, and you come now to this wedding. And it's, yep, they're married and had a son. I mean, what? Like, you know, tell us about her dress. Right? Tell tell us about the, the, the bouquet and the and the flowers and the all of the the stuff. But you know, our culture has made so much of the stuff that we've we've neglected the thing itself. That marriage is a gift of God not only for continuing the human race. But the reason that the human race exists, that is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And we get so distracted with the the peripheral stuff of the wedding that marriage... Well, that, that's not really our, our concern. And yet it is... Very much the concern of God who's given us marriage as this window through which the watching world might see the way that Jesus loves the church, his bride. That it's wonderful to have a lovely ceremony. But that's not the point. This is one of those things that I stress again and again in premarital counseling. And and some of you have I've had the privilege to to marry and, and you probably got tired of me talking about. Yeah, we're not talking just about the wedding, but the marriage. My job is to help prepare you for a lifetime together of worshiping Christ through your marriage. And and that's what we find here is it's it's not a, a love story that culminates in extravagant ceremony. No, the text is very matter-of-fact and straightforward. They were married, and Boaz went into her, and God gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, I don't want to press all of your buttons, but this whole thing of marriage for conceiving children, again, that's one of the things that we've, we've pushed that down and and said well we we don't agree with those oftentimes in the protestant church like first congregational church of woodstock we we don't believe that that birth control is wrong because we believe that marriage is for more than just procreation well that's that's fine as far as it goes the problem is, is it doesn't go very far that that in god's economy the the rationale the reason for marriage is yes for a husband and wife to enjoy one another that is part of his purpose and we've seen the grand purpose of pointing folks to Christ but sandwiched right in between that is bearing children that that is part of God's design for marriage and and that not all couples are able to do that. That's one of those things that we saw with Mother's Day and we see again with Father's Day. Father's Day can be very difficult and painful for folks, guys that would love to have children, but for a whole host of reasons that we don't know, God has not blessed many with children who would love to have children. So we tend to avoid that conversation altogether. I mean, that's, that's what we do when something's uncomfortable. We just don't talk about it. But that's, that's not what God does. He actually invites us in and talks about these things even when they're difficult because in difficulty especially we need to know what God's word says. And here we see with Ruth and Boaz and the whole of Naomi's family that not only has God designed marriage for children to be born, but that part of his work of grace is working in a couple to have children that's not something that we can just do on our own we think so but talk with couple after couple who've tried everything they know how it works and have not been able to have children no it's only as the text here says God who allows conception God who gives children and he does so in this case with Boaz and Ruth. Now, don't pass over too quickly the fact that Ruth, remember, is a widow. She was married. Now, we don't know exactly how long. The text tells us that they were there after uh, Elimelech died, before they, they returned, 10 years. Now, it could be that Ruth was married only for less than a year of that before her husband Malon died, or that they could have been married for 10 years. We don't, we don't know how long that they were married, but we do know that they were married and that they didn't have any children, and that Malon died, leaving her a widow. And so part of the, what the story is communicating to us is that it's not just about getting married that gives you kids, but that as we've seen through the whole of the text, that God works providentially in and through marriages to produce children. And that we need to be clear and give him all the glory for those children. And as we've seen earlier in the service, to not idolize them or idolize the family, but to praise God for our children. And if he's not enabled us to have children, to praise God even for that. We are to praise God whether he gives us the things that we want or withholds them from us. Because we know that God is not only good, but that he works for our good. And that whether we have many children or have no children, praise be to God. He is worthy of our praise. And this is exactly what we find the people in Bethlehem here doing. Verse 14 says and the women said to naomi blessed be the lord this is one of those things that we keep struggling with because uh, the you'll see in the text the lord is all caps right and that's that's indicating that the word being used for god there is yahweh the covenant keeping god and and so sometimes we don't always have that in 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 the text but but here it is all caps the lord Blessed be the Lord. Their initial response, the women come and celebrate God's grace with Naomi. And and this can be a subtle thing, but it is so incredibly important. Where where perhaps a friend or or a neighbor or even a family member has, has had a child. And we come and say, congratulations. That's awesome. That's good to rejoice with them. But it's not the same thing as what this text is showing us that the the women in Bethlehem did. This is not, way to go! You made it! You did this! No, they're speaking rightly, biblically. Blessed be the Lord. To give him the praise and the glory for providing the children. The, The women here celebrate. And their celebration begins with blessed be the Lord. That that Christ-centered, Lord-centered praise and delight in celebration ought to characterize all of our celebrations. Whether a a birth of a child, a a birthday that we're celebrating, a Father's Day, a, a graduation, whatever it is that we feel is exciting and we want to celebrate are we starting with praising and thanking and blessing the lord first and that brings us to this phrase that the women use they say blessed be the lord they they don't say praise be to god they don't just worship god hallelujah look at what he's done but they use this phrase particularly of blessing. And we, we saw that last week, right, with, with the, the people at the gate blessing Boaz and blessing Ruth and blessing their household. Well, the, those things make sense because they need blessing, right? Ruth and Boaz and their household, they, they're just humans. They, they need blessing. But have you ever stopped to think about what is it that we're doing when we say to the Lord bless you it's not like he sneezed what 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 do we what do we mean to say to god himself who has everything bless the lord well it's a lot of what jesus was teaching us to do in the lord's prayer our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven it's not as if God needs us to pray that for it to happen, right? It's not like God needs us to bless him for him to be blessed. What's going on is two primary things. One is we're exercising faith. We're, we're saying we know what the Lord has said is going to happen. The end of the story is God wins. And what we are doing when we join our voices to say, Bless you, Lord. We're asking for his blessing, that he is all blessed. He doesn't need any more blessing, but we're asking that that blessing would be revealed. We're, we're in a sense, saying, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Bless you, Lord. Who doesn't need any blessing, who doesn't lack anything, The world around doesn't see that. And so what we're asking is is that the Lord's blessing would be revealed. The other thing that we're doing is not only exercising faith, but we're also joining our voices in. We're participating in what God is doing in making his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is an incredible privilege that we have as God's people, to not only know through the word of God what is going to happen, but that he uses us, we've talked about this before in the prophets, of using us as secondary causes, using us and our prayers of blessing, that he's actually answering the prayers of his people in bringing this about when Christ comes again, in having the whole earth. That's why we read earlier from Isaiah that the the end game, what is going to happen is is that all in all of creation will bow before the Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. The interesting thing about that passage in Isaiah is it's picked up again in Romans and, and applied particularly not only to Christ in how he's been given the name that is above every name and that at his name every knee will bow. Now stop for a minute and consider what that's saying. The Old Testament says God himself will have every knee bow and every tongue confess. And then the New Testament says, yeah, and that is Jesus. Okay, Very clear testimony to the divinity of Christ. But not only that, how it's used in Romans is this verse from Isaiah, this reality of the end time of what is going to happen when Jesus comes again. Is that, yes, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. But then Paul, by the Holy Spirit, uses that reality to call the people in Rome now, in Paul's writing, to live those things out. He uses that text from Isaiah to say, and because he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and at his name every knee shall bow, that means we ought to be obeying him now. We don't... We don't say, Lord, thank you for saving me. And when you come again, I will praise you and worship you for the rest of all eternity. Yes, that. But if that's the reality, then how should I live now? What, what should we be doing? Whew. Well, it's sure not obedience because we got off that hook, right? Jesus has obeyed perfectly for us, so we don't need to obey. I've got my get-out-of-jail-free uh, card in the, in the gospel. So, so glad I don't have to do all that Old Testament obedience stuff. I just get to live my best life now. Hogwash. No, he calls us to the king who is so glorious that at the end, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. So Christian, what are you waiting for? Bow before him now and every day. Obey him in faith. Knowing that we're not obeying obeying God, hoping maybe it's enough. But we're obeying the king of kings because he loves us. Because of how he tenderly cares for Ruth and Naomi and her whole family. Despite their disobedience. Despite their lack of faith. He cares for them. And so the women celebrate. Not only that, but they call Naomi to celebrate. Did you see that in the text? It says that the women said to Naomi, bless the Lord. They're not only blessing the Lord, they're calling her to bless the Lord. And so as we, brothers and sisters in Christ here at First Congregational Church of Woodstock, are are we calling one another to bless the Lord? Are we listening to what's going on and that when people here in our fellowship are experiencing the bitterness and the difficulty that Naomi went through. Are we coming alongside them? Are we listening to them? Are we helping them? Are we comforting them? And then not only blessing the Lord ourselves, but gently calling them to bless the Lord as well. Remember when Naomi came back to Bethlehem? And they said, Naomi, whose name means pleasant, And what did Naomi say? Now don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Bitterness. For the Lord has dealt harshly with me. I left full. Returned empty. She's heartbroken. She's lost her husband. She's... She's lost not just one of her boys, but both of her sons. She is undone. And the Lord patiently, gently, kindly restores her. We've seen that all through the book. As Ruth goes out and prays that God would grant favor to her, that she might be able to glean And he doesn't just provide her with a little bit of barley that they might get through the night without a rumbling stomach. He pours blessing upon her. And then the next day, he pours more. All throughout, they go through the whole harvest and she's cared for tenderly, abundantly until she goes to the threshing floor and Boaz promises to be that kinsman redeemer if the closer relative isn't willing to do so. And now we come to, to this wedding and her bearing a son. All of these things, again, they're not just this sweet love story. They are that. But they point to the greater love story of Yahweh and his love for his people, of Jesus' great love for the church. And then in their blessing, they, they're they blessing the Lord, but then they also talk about Naomi. The, so there's the focus on, on the Lord, but then they, they turn to, to Naomi herself when they say in verse 15, He shall be to you, that is this child, this Promised child who's who's come that the Lord has provided. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter in law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. It's fascinating that, that she doesn't point to just or the women don't just point to Boaz, the one who's God's provided as the kinsman redeemer, but they're pointing to the son that's been born of Ruth and Boaz. And it uses these two phrases. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. I've I've told you before how in looking at the book of Ruth, the vocabulary that's used in Ruth is is very basic Hebrew. The only difficult words are the proper names of the people and places. Everything else is like on a second grade level. This is is very simple, straightforward Hebrew, which I find particularly helpful because I'm not great at Hebrew. but, so the, the words that God uses in telling this story are, are simple, but they're also very specific. They're, they're chosen very carefully. And interesting, the word that's used here for restorer of life, basic word for life in, in Hebrew, but the particular word that's translated here as restorer is the same word that was used earlier in Ruth six different times in just as many verses. And it was at that particular critical junction when when Naomi is turning from life in Moab, apart from God, and turning back to the Lord and returning to the promised land. And there's that back and forth between Naomi and her two daughters-in-law of turning back away from sin, away from idolatry, and back to Yahweh. Again, it's used six different times in rapid succession. Return, return, return. And now that word is used to talk about how this child will be the returner of life to Naomi. What's what's that all about? What's going on? Well, again, we've, we've talked about how God has always said, if you pursue sin... If you you disobey, that leads to death, always. That's the fruit, that's the result of disobedience, is death. And the gospel calls us to turn from that disobedience away from them and do a 180 to turn back to the Lord, who is the giver of life. Turn from disobedience to obedience by faith. Turn from death... To life in Christ. In Naomi's terms, in the coming Messiah. That's where they would find life. And so it says that this child will be to Naomi a returner to life. Well, we can see all of the ways in which that's worked out in the kinsman redeemer that Boaz marries Ruth, and that they conceive by God's grace and have a son who then is the heir to Melon and Elimelech to maintain their family place in the promised land. But that restoration to life is connected to, in all of those ways to the spiritual life, to new life in God, instead of The the deadness that sin brings. So this is talking about this redeeming of her spirit, of her rebirth. And and that's because this is the the uh, provision of God in uh, the the whole rite of Leverite marriage. But it's also the way in which Naomi was to exercise faith. For us now that the true Redeemer has come, we know that and express that particularly in trust in Christ. Put your faith in Him. This is Old Testament verbiage for the same thing. Are you trusting in Yahweh? Remember chapter 1. They weren't trusting in Yahweh. They went to look for life somewhere else. But now God has provided this kinsman Redeemer and established their family in the promised land with Yahweh. And so he is a restorer, a returner to life for Naomi. But not only that, it goes on to say a nourisher of your old age. And that's the part that we much more easily relate to in terms of, okay, you've got Naomi and Ruth who are both widows who, who don't have any way of sustaining themselves, of providing for themselves. And now that Ruth is married and they have a son, that place is secure and so Naomi has now a means of supporting herself in her old age that, that Obed will, will grow up and be able to care for her and we see in redemptive history that that's exactly what does happen and, and so the point that the text is making is that both the spiritual life and the physical life are being cared for by Yahweh's provision in giving them a son and I think all too often in the evangelical church here in North America we focus just on the spiritual and neglect the physical praise be to God he doesn't do that he cares for us both spiritually and physically there's this return to life for Naomi in her faith in coming Messiah and an actual care for her in her old age. So these are all part of the women's celebration of God and his grace with Naomi. The last thing that I want us to see is how at the very end of this God reveals some of the bigger picture. Tells us that the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying a son has been born to Naomi and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, to understand this in, in context, you need to understand that King David is the high point of all Israel. So, as good Israelites reading this story to have the tie in to David, it's like well, the, the whole story just amazingly transformed. It's like, what? This is, this is David's grandmother or great grandmother? Is, is Ruth? But you see, what God is doing is helping them to see, yes, this story about Ruth could be anyone. And we have saw how the, the language actually points in that direction, the way that it uses pronouns again and again for folks uh, in, in a, a way of saying this could be any Israelite family. Because the temptation for anybody in the family of God is to just go through the motions and, and do those things but not have a real heart relationship with God. And how God has transformed form them in that. And and so now this son has been born to Naomi. Why does it say to Naomi instead of Ruth? I mean, it was Ruth and Boaz's child. Well, remember, with the kinsman redeemer, this child is standing in for Elimelech and his son Malon and continuing that line. This is a child born to Naomi. It's also important that this is, this is the way that the scripture often talks about extended family, is that it will say son, and it could be son, it could be grandson, it could be great-grandson. But the point is, is that God has provided an heir and one who will restore Naomi. And then it says that they name him Obed. Again, this is a Hebrew word that simply means Servant. But it's used time and again in the scripture to talk about the servant of the Lord, like in the in the psalm when when it refers to I'd rather be a, a gatekeeper or a, a, a door attendant in the house of the Lord for a day than to have a thousand years somewhere else. Deuteronomy uses this to to talk about serving the Lord as we're called to worship him, to serve him in worship. It's so funny how God works as i'm preparing for this and translating and and then totally separate with my classes i was reading through and one of the hebrew scholars was talking about this word obed in terms of servant and how important that is for pastors and worship leaders to to recognize that the way that the scripture talks about the people up here leading worship is not with a word for leader it's this word for servant we are servants of the king It's his agenda. It's his glory. It's all to his honor that we engage in any of these things in worship. And so why is it that the women would call this incredible blessing of this child servant? Because that's the way the gospel works. Jesus said this again and again to his disciples, if you want to be first, be last. The king of kings and lord of lords getting ready to depart his disciples after spending years pouring into them. What does he do? He takes the form of a servant and washes their feet. God is revealing the bigger picture that he is not only at work in providing Ruth and Boaz a child and Naomi an heir, but this is connected to the servant king that he's going to provide through Jesse to David. David is this king of God's people who serves God's people as a way of pointing to the Lord Jesus who comes as a servant king, not demanding him be a afforded all of the rights and privileges that he deserved. But in Philippians 2, that he emptied himself of all of those things so that he might secure our inheritance forever in himself. God is doing a bigger thing in Ruth and Boaz in providing for the line through which Messiah would come. But he's also doing a bigger thing here among us yes he is working by God's grace to make us less sinful praise be to the Lord but he's doing much more than just that as big a thing as that is he's doing much more he's working in and through us to make his name glorious here in Woodstock and throughout the upper valley and to the ends of the earth the story of Ruth helps us to, to engage in what God is doing in his work of redeeming his people out of our slavery to sin and into a right relationship with God in Christ. Do you, do you know that kind of relationship with God? If, if that sounds really different than what you know in terms of going to church and doing some religious things, I beg of you, don't let another day go by. Jesus has come and done everything to secure our right relationship with the Father. What we need to do by his grace is simply to bow and humble ourselves, to acknowledge his lordship, to by faith trust in him as the only one who can change us because he's the only one who can let's pray jesus thank you thank you for the loving tender way that you cared for naomi lord you know that there are many here today and watching online that are struggling with naomi's kind of bitterness Feeling neglected. Feeling as if, Lord Jesus, you don't care. When that couldn't be the far, farther from the truth. That you have demonstrated your great care for us. And that you have provided for us, your church, as broken and as messed up as the church is. Lord, it is the, the means that you have chosen to work through to care for your people. And so we pray that you would help us to humble ourselves, to trust in you. Give us that turning, Lord Christ, as you so graciously gave Naomi. For it's in Christ's name we pray.